so it's about keeping even even what even though you have an artistic vision for something do not dismiss the fundamentals you know put anything aside do not put quality aside for this vision that somebody only has a certain budget for welcome back to another edition of how i create me where we passionately celebrate remarkable humans on their quest to thrive creatively in the commercial world I'm your host, Jessica Matthews. This community gives me both the courage to keep going and the wisdom to try something different. I hope our collective stories resonate with your own internal spark, and we're so glad you're joining us. Invite others by rating the show on Apple or Spotify. This helps the algorithm critters introduce us to more folks. And explore our happenings or chime into our conversation online at howicreate.me. Today, we are celebrating the remarkable human buttercream artist, Miri Nadler. She chatted with me about how life-changing a single employee and a small business loan can truly be, even when your art depends on your own hands. She's got a plethora of experience in marketing and events on both U.S. coasts and even flying in between. Workplace discrimination as a mom and the pressures to pivot in COVID-19 catapulted her content self-soothing practice of palette knife painting on cakes into a national teaching tour of her unique technique and a brick and mortar bakery shop in the hottest district of Charlotte, North Carolina. Join us to hear why binging all 13 seasons of Ink Masters had a profound effect on her entrepreneurial development and how an ostrich on TikTok changed everything. Mary, thank you. Thank you for coming on my podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thank you for having me. This is fun. I always look forward to getting to have like meaningful conversations and taking a moment to uh, separate from like all the whirling of the day and celebrate the stories of how amazing uh, things have been and will be and uh, all the good things. So let's kick it off with what you wish everyone understood about your profession and your why kind of want to unpack your story. So I have always been interested in baking. I had a blog for many years. It's still somewhere out in the ether, but I completely abandoned it. And uh, I really found a niche with baking. I hated fondant, so I wasn't going to decorate any cakes. It was just regular old, you know, little piping things on to the cake. I went through several different career changes when I lived in Los Angeles, as we all do in our 20s. And I ended up uh, working for events companies. I worked for a luxury bakery. So we catered to Hollywood. And it was a big uh, learning curve for me about what kind of ingredients are you going to use if you're catering to a luxury market? What kind of packaging are you going to use? What kind of customer service are you going to have? And um, what are the things that need to be consistent in your business? And so I ran the office of that business. I actually didn't work in the bakery, but um, I sold a lot of really expensive cookies to a lot of very famous people. And through that, I ended up landing a job at a social media agency. Um, so I learned a lot about marketing. Within a year, I became the creative director of that, not creative director, but the content director of that agency. So 
when all that time I got married, I had a baby and I was laid off while on maternity leave. And we decided, okay, let's get out of Los Angeles. Let's move to where my husband's from, which is North Carolina. So we did that. And I got more jobs in marketing um, as it was very lucrative. It was all in house. But as any social media marketer can tell you, it uh, people do not value it as much as they should, especially big companies. So I ended up working for this medical technology company, and it was just as exciting as it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> and I got pregnant again. I had another baby. I was laid off again, and I thought... I'm so done. I don't want to work for anybody anymore. Nobody understands what I do. Nobody appreciates what I do. I told my husband, I was like, you go find the full-time job. I'm going to just be a mom and um, just a mom, right? So, <laughs> but I was the best mom with two little kids. So I was going to meal plan every month. We we're just going to do one big Costco haul every month. I was going to be the queen of crockpot meals. I was going to have my laundry done every single day. And dude, that was hard. Like I felt just so much pressure on myself to be, to sustain this household. And um, I got real bored. I felt real like not contributing. I mean, I was contributing to the house, but you know, you're just like, it did really good today. Awesome. And nobody else to just give you those accolades, which I guess I really need. And so I went on to Instagram. I found these people in Thailand were decorating cakes with buttercream and palette knives. And I thought I could teach myself to do that. Now, keep in mind, you went from like two incomes to one income. And I had like, no money to do anything. And I secretly spent $24 on Amazon and it was a big deal. Uh, so <laughs> I spent $24 on Amazon and I bought palette knives and I bought um, food coloring and I had just started making cakes and decorating them, teaching myself. And I did not know that dummy cakes existed back then. So I made four cakes a week, just you know, trying to teach myself how to do this. And I posted it all on Instagram. Quickly, I developed my own technique that was unique to me and not anything like what they were doing in Thailand. And um, I developed this following on Instagram. Customers started coming and um, I was like, oh no, I don't want to have any customers. They're, you know, going to be demanding so much of me and I can't like do what's in my heart. They're going to ask me to, you know, do what they want. And it's going to be so much pressure and all of that stuff. Well, I couldn't stave off the force anymore. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go all in. And so I have two segments of my business, which is making luxury cakes. And then the other segment, which is teaching bakers my technique. And so right now they're about 50-50. Um, but I'm going to be 100% honest with you. The customers, I will take them 10 times on a Sunday over the people that I'm teaching because they get so frustrated and they think that they can learn it real quick. It looks easy and 
it is what it is. But I do, I do love my students, but I find that demand on my time is just so much more than baking and decorating actual cakes. <laughs> well, it's a totally different scenario of engagement with people, right? To, to teach and then to give something that's your craft that you're perfecting and you're getting to enjoy the practice of. So I, oh my goodness, I, your story about your treatment on maternity leave and that choice of coming home to be with your kids that are obviously causing so much trouble for everybody else. I 100%, that was my story too. I didn't get laid off, but you know, practically everything else and got pushed out the door myself and uh, came home as well. And then that's what gave birth to my business <laughs> was being at home. And you're right. There's so much pressure that we put on ourselves as mothers and parents to marry the professional expectations and expertise that we have with just living life and the chores that go with it. And to a certain extent, there can be an element of satisfaction in that for sure, but also it's kind of very much a product of consumer marketing culture that America has nourished <laughs> since World War II. And there's a lot in it that really can be kind of toxic. I heard the most brilliant thing the other day. I was listening to an interview between Megan Kelly and Andrew Clavin. It was rarely do I listen to anything that I'm just like, okay, this is life changing. So he was talking about, you know, Proverbs 31, mm -hmm. which is the woman that is the ideal woman in the Bible. And she considers a field and buys it. She <laughs> sells the fruit of the field. She makes the clothes. She puts dinner on the table. She cares for the kids. She makes her husband proud all of these things and people kind of make fun of it. Like, oh, this is impossible to do. And, but he pointed out that before the industrial revolution, women were so central to the economy of the home that they had, had real like tangible value to the home and that they made all the clothes, they washed all the clothes, they, you know, milked the cows they uh children also had that value as well they were also considered part of the labor of the home so after the industrial revolution factories made clothes and farmers you know considered fields and bought them and made food and you just bought them and it was into the victorian era that women were to be the angel of the home which they're supposed to always look nice just keep the home very clean and all of these things and suddenly our value was in how our appearance. And he was saying that even though there's always been, you know, prostitution and stuff like that, pornography was not a really big thing until after the Industrial Revolution, when women were more objectified um, because uh, they had lost that, you know, kind of employment in their home. And now we're in a like two income home situation, but all of those old pressures are still on us. And it's, you know, it's like the saying that you're supposed to mother, like you don't have a job and work like you don't have kids. <laughs> you can have it all. You be it all. You guys are super moms. And you're like, yeah, but wait, like, <laughs> 
<laughs> no, you can't do all the things. There's only so many hours in a day. And, and so much of it is internalized that, you know, we grow up on these stories or these images and uh and get that you do it just as much to ourselves i my husband told me the other day he's like i think you're a worse boss to yourself than you've ever been to anyone that actually directly reported to you true for me yeah yes oh feel it so how has your business evolved fundamentally since it started because you were like not interested really in having a business and then people are like beating down your door like please let us be part of your business. Um, and then now it's like this fantastic following and, you know, renowned uh, reputation in your world. So tell us like kind of how it changed and how you got from A to B. Well, the pandemic certainly changed everything for me because mostly I was booking wedding cakes that were, um, the weddings were being postponed. Actually, most of my brides ended up getting pregnant. I had a few cakes turn into baby shower cakes. I had one person who um, said, well, can you just do like a painting and plaster for me? And I said, sure, yeah. So I did that. Um, but before the pandemic, I had actually booked workshops to teach people throughout 2020. And, and I was already very dependent on the income that had come in from those tickets. So I had to become an expert in local ordinances for how people can gather in every county and state and all of those things. I, if I had to postpone a workshop, I kept every single one of my commitments. I never canceled on one. And basically I broke even because I said, I'm not going to stop. I have to keep going. And I did workshops for with five people because that was like the max that you could have um, all over the United States. There were several like freak outs from people that didn't want to come because they were scared last minute, which is understandable. It was exhausting. I was gone for every second weekend doing these workshops away from my family. And I thought this is really burning me out. I don't want to travel anymore for this because it's a lot of work to put on a workshop by myself um, from 2000 miles away from my home. So there were certain things that happened in the community we were living in, which is in Raleigh, that really also concerned us. And I'm not going to go into what those were, but we decided, you know what, let's just sell cakes and let's not worry about traveling. And we moved to Charlotte where my in-laws live to be closer with them. Um, but we also pursued a distributor for cakes because we figured out how to ship them. The idea was like, oh, we're going to make so much money distributing these cakes. I was able to take over a lease of an existing bakery, which was definitely a godsend. It got us here. So I developed a reputation in Charlotte uh, with a lot of the local people who had never heard of me, but nowhere in Charlotte can you get Swiss meringue buttercream. It's always American buttercream. And so a lot of transplants from the North were like, yes, I'm only part of my spot. So I was unable to get on with our distributor. I'm still not on with our distributor. They love me, but they just, you know, business takes twice as long and twice as much money as you ever think it's going to be. So then I had a chat with somebody who I consider 
a mentor in the marketing space. She's really big in social media marketing. And she said, Mary, you have to get on TikTok. And I said, uh, no, that's for kids. Like, that's not my market. My market is a little older. They have money, you know, all of these things because I make luxury cakes. And she said, no, 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 you got to get on TikTok. So I did. And it just like went nowhere. But I was like, you know what? I'm just going to just keep doing it because I think you just got to keep doing it. And then something hits. And lo and behold, I put this ostrich cake that I did on TikTok. I mentioned in the TikTok video, I love doing animals. I'd love to do more animals, you know, maybe like this or like that. It went on fire. Like, I think I got 25 or 30,000 followers overnight. I got 40 cake orders in two weeks because it was right before graduation. And all of them were like these very complicated animals that I had to do. And that takes twice as long as just the floral arrangements that I was doing on the cakes. So um, it was, I don't know how I, how I made it, but I did. And so I was like, okay, this TikTok thing is really working out. So, you know, I've grown that now to like 52,000 followers on TikTok. And we have like regular orders coming in. But like I mentioned, I still need that distributor and it's a big contract. It's a very large contract. So thank you uh, to the Small Business Administration. I applied for the EIDL loan. I did not apply for the PPP loan because I was like, I don't have any employees, you know, but I should have I should have done that. Anyway, uh, if I would have known then what I know now, I would have 100% applied for that. But I got an EID loan. It was above and beyond what I ever thought I could get as a loan. In fact, it said that I qualified for a certain amount. And the lady at the SBA called me and she's like, you know, you said you want this amount. You qualify for four times that. And do you want it? And I was like, well, I guess if I don't use it, I can just give it back. Sure. So I had no idea that how just having money opens so many more doors. And I, you can like, especially in something that's an artistic venture where you have to use your own labor to do something. It's not like you create this product and it's an invention and you manufacture it. And then, you know, you have all of these bubbles that you can sell. It's like you have to do every single one of those things. And with that money, we we're able to open a location in the hottest neighborhood in Charlotte. And I have an employee now who is amazing, which is the best business move. If you can afford employees, one employee, an assistant, it will change everything about how you do business. It will, I mean, she's already just made me so much money in how she can get back to emails and, you know, she can keep the social media consistent and things like that. So incredible. And we're able to get our robots to coat cake so that we can scale, you know, all of these things that I would have never known cost so much money. Um, it's not a problem. We can make it happen. And then finally, I did this big wedding in Florida. It was for um, a restaurateur's daughter. And uh, it was 
fabulous. It was just beyond spectacular, this wedding. But the mother of the bride said, you know, my husband, he's a restaurateur. I want you to talk to him. So now I have a business mentor who is very successful, which was just amazing. I, if anything, get yourself a business mentor, somebody that you respect that knows how to make money and um, can just see your business from a different perspective. It changes everything. So that's kind of where we are today. I am so appreciative of the detail that you put in there about the loans and the mentorship, because I think a lot of solopreneurs, right? They, they talk a lot about all the hard work that goes in from the person that's starting the business, which makes total sense and is a hundred percent a part of the story. But sometimes it can be hard to sort of like articulate or even imagine like what those connecting dots might be that get you from A to B. Uh, so I really appreciate you sharing that uh, with our audience and our listeners. So apart from getting a business mentor, hiring an employee, are there any other bits of advice or ideas maybe that you would share with other creative professionals who are trying to to thrive in the commercial world today? Yes. So this is kind of, I think that this is so hard for most people and it's so key, but I used to be a flight attendant and, you know, they talk about the service in economy versus first class and things like that, and how economy customers tend to be a little bit more demanding than first-class customers. But the reason why is because that economy customer in comparison to their income is paying way more for that ticket. And you know, the people in first class and business class, they might not have even paid for that ticket. It might come out of points or loyalty or whatever. And I think the same is true, at least in my experience with cakes. If somebody's ordering a huge cake, money is no object. They're like, I love your art. You do your thing. These are the colors. These are the flowers. You do you. I love it. If somebody just loves my art, loves my cakes, has been admiring for a long time, has a smaller budget, they're going to order the smallest cake and they're going to want everything that they imagine in their wildest dreams to be on that cake. So and like the, my smaller cakes are just much more demanding than my larger cakes. It's like, of course, not as physically demanding, but just trying to wrap my head around, oh, they want this and they want that. And how do I put this all together in this little mold? So one thing that really, really helped me was watching all, I think, 14 or 13 seasons of Ink Master, which I binged because it's the same exact thing because people... Um, you know, they may have never had a tattoo before. And so they want a smaller tattoo. They want it on a specific area of the body and they want it to have all of these elements to it that really kind of strangle the artistic vision of the uh, artist. And so it's the artist's job to say, I think that these are all really good ideas, but I can give you a better tattoo if we only incorporate two of these ideas instead of all five. So really about kind of finessing yourself, putting yourself forward as an artist with a vision and explaining like, hey, I know that you want all of these elements, but I really see that it's going to be more dynamic this way, or I won't be able to make the image as large if I have to incorporate this and this. And then another way that my job is similar 
is if you watch Ink Master, people can have the best rendering on somebody's skin, but if they don't have the fundamentals of a good outline or whatever it is, you know, composition or contrast, then over time, that tattoo is not going to read very well. And my job isn't just art. It's food. It has to taste as good as it looks. People, I have a cake right now that's going to go out tomorrow where it's nothing I would normally do, but they just love the way my cake tastes. So yeah, so it's like a Fleetwood Mac cake. I don't know, (laughs) but it's because they, they love the fundamentals of my business. Not necessarily, they also love the art too, but they would rather go to me than anyone else for the flavor. So it's about keeping even even what even though you have an artistic vision for something, do not dismiss the fundamentals. You know, put anything aside. Do not put quality aside for this vision that somebody only has a certain budget for. It's easy as an artist, I think, to forget that people can also value those fundamental skills that we take for granted once we've developed a craft. And there's still value there. So basically, I'm just going to shuffle a deck of cards and draw a question, and then you and I will both answer it. Tell about your favorite magazine and why you like it. Oh, that's tough. Do we use magazines anymore? I've always loved the Jewish Journal, which is not necessarily a magazine. It's kind of like a like a reader that comes out once a week. And they highlight different parts that are important in Jewish life, which I really appreciate as somebody that relates to that. But often they cover archaeology as well. So in a different life, I would have been an archaeologist and, but not the one that digs. Like I would be the one in the tent that people bring things to and they're like, we found this, what is it? And I'm like, oh, that's the handle of a pot. This is from the 13th century, you know? And (laughs) the other night I was trying to find something to watch on TV and I was like, ooh, Attila the Hun's Lost Tomb. That sounds really good. And I think Maybe that inspires my art too, because I see all of these like different eras and I'm like, oh, that's so this, or that's so that. Um, One of the things I love is Art Deco because it incorporates Japanese and Egyptian and some South American elements all into one in this really not not honoring way, but (laughs) in a very, in its own way. And uh, so I love all of those nods. Um, but yeah, I would say that the Jewish journal is that that's why is that the only thing that I can think of? If not that, it would be like interior design kind of stuff because my personal space has to be aesthetically pleasing. And that's really hard with two little boys. Girl, I have a three-year-old. Yes, I feel, I feel that pain. <laughs> yeah. My husband is going on a camping trip with our six-year-old and it's me and the three-year-old for five days. Uh, (laughs) Yep, that's what's happening this weekend. Yep, see, when that kind of stuff happens is when I go back and I pull out like My Dwell magazine, which happens to be my one of my favorite magazines because I can flip through the pages and no matter what the chaos is around my life, like there's beautiful images in here. just make my heart happy and the paper feel to it like I don't really like that glossy feel to a magazine but Dwell magazine they got the paper right like it's a heavier heavier stock and it's like got a little bit more texture to it it's not like slippery 
I'm going to have to subscribe, but one thing I do appreciate from some of my favorite interior designers, one, her name is like Sunny Circle Studio. She always does like pictures of her like staged photo next to what it looks like today. And she has little kids. I love that so much. <laughs> and it's amazing. It makes me feel like everything's going to be okay. Yes, yes. Because ultimately we're living our life in our space, right? And we're doing our art and we're running our business and we're making memories with our family. And I think that is something I've come to appreciate about social media and why people find it so inspiring is that it just freezes this little moment in time that is easy to scroll back to, is easy to share and just affirm and say, yes, like this is beautiful. This gives me joy. This sparks something and energy for me. And on the days when my toddler has poured out all his Legos all over the floor yet again, it's like, okay, every day. at one point, right, exactly, every day, uh, every hour, <laughs> it's like it's, at one point, this room was like this beautiful you know, clean, pristine work of art, right? And it's not in this moment, but that's okay. It's been that, and it couldn't be that again. Right. <laughs> Uh, it helps keep my heart and soul moving forward. So I love that. I'll have to check her out. So, well, thank you so much, Mary, for sharing your story and your thoughts with us. Uh, I think there's so many valuable insights um, that I look forward to, to sharing with our audience. And I'm so excited to see your next cake. Thank you. Thank you. That's another party in the bag for How I Create Me. We're incredibly grateful that you welcomed our content into your headspace. We take it very seriously that we should bring light and goodness to your soul. So don't be shy about sharing your thoughts. How'd we do? Do you want to hear more? What should we talk about next? To stay connected and get amongst the details, visit howicreate.me. Are there other people in your world that should join the party? Invite others by rating the show on Apple or Spotify. This helps the algorithm critters introduce us to more folks. Like, share, follow, and all the social media things. That'll help too. Explore our happenings or chime into our conversation online at howicreate.me. This podcast would not be possible without the generous efficiency of our executive producer and production team at Chat with Leaders Media. Learn how you can launch your own podcast to grow your business at chatwithleaders.com. Thanks again for listening. May you go forth and thrive.